Hebrews 13, verse 7 to 17, and the theme for this morning, Authentic Christianity. Hebrews 13, verse 7 to 17, Authentic Christianity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we draw near to you and ask for your help, please. We are dependent on you, Lord. Without you, we can do nothing. We cannot hear the word, we cannot preach the word, we cannot understand the word, we cannot apply the word, and we cannot live the Christian life. So I pray, please, Lord, would you help us and give us understanding, give us understanding in the inner man, give us understanding in the depth of our heart, and fill us with divine wisdom, that we may be able to walk according to your statutes, for the glory of your name. Amen. So authentic Christianity or genuine Christianity, I may compare it to genuine or authentic Nike trainers, Nike tackies, uh, rather than the Chinese imitation. And it's the same when it comes to Christianity because there are many people who call themselves Christian. Liberal people call themselves Christian. The Catholics call themselves Christian. The cults call themselves Christian like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists. They all call themselves Christian. And uh, there's a vast difference between their type of Christianity and ours. So what is authentic Christianity? And that is what we'll find out in Hebrews 13. Let us start in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which haven't benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we, we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, <sighs> not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So who teaches us genuine Christianity? That's the first question. Where do we learn it? That's in verse 7 and 8 and verse 17. So where do we learn it? Well, we learn it from our leaders who have died in verse 17. I've told you before that Martin Holt, the late Martin Holt, had a very great influence on me. I learned a lot from his preaching, but I, I would say that I learned more from his life. And that should be true of every Christian that we should remember those leaders who have died and learn from them, both their teaching and their example. 
Now, we know that the leaders in verse 7 have died because it says, remember them. It says they spoke the word of God, past tense. And it says it speaks of the outcome of their way of life. So what we learn from them is we learn from their preaching, verse 7. Those who spoke to you the word of God. And then from their lives. And I'll focus on that just now. But just the teaching for a moment. I would encourage you to read Christian biography. In other words, the lives, the record of the lives of these preachers and pastors, these spiritual leaders who have died. Let me just give you a sampling of, of some biographies that I think you could read. They're easy to read, easily accessible, and they're not very fat, big fat books. Uh, so the one is John G. Payton, John Payton, uh, Missionary to the Cannibals of the South Seas, and that is by Paul Schlelein, a missionary friend of mine, published by Banner of Truth. And then there's a biography that will appear next month, and it will probably be in South Africa by the end of the year, or perhaps early next year, and that is The Man in the Gap, and the subtitle is The Life and Ministry of Martin Holt, Martin Peterson Holt, and that is by my father, uh, Rex Jeffries. And then, if you're not a reader, there are many other good biographies I can recommend, but those are just two. If you're not a reader, I'd encourage you to start reading, but if you like listening to sermons, then I'd encourage you to listen to the biographies given by John Piper, audio biographies on many different heroes in church history. You can find these. They are free on desiringgod.org. And then reading sermons, I'd encourage you to read the sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, perhaps you can start with a Sermon on the Mount. It's a big book. But don't be discouraged. Many chapters in the book. And you can perhaps read one sermon a day. And they're quite easy to read. And they're very practical. The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and that is how we learn authentic Christianity. At least one of the ways we learn authentic Christianity. Is by listening to the preaching. Remembering the teaching. Those who spoke to you the word of God. And then also see how these people persevered right to the end because it says, speaks of the outcome of their way of life and it speaks of their way of life. It's not just a single act and they, they were kind of, oh, I did here and there, I did good. No, their whole way of life. They weren't shooting stars where they were shining suns. So follow their example. It says, imitate their faith in verse 7. Like you imitate Christ. As they follow Christ... You follow them. That is what Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. 1 Corinthians 4.16 and a number of other texts. So we learn it from the leaders who have died. We also learn genuine Christianity or authentic Christianity from Jesus. Who does not change. Verse 8. So people change. Jesus does not change. Our leaders change. Jesus does not change. So it's a pity that some people refuse to follow Jesus, they, have, they, they want nothing to do with Jesus because some pastor really disappointed them. And I think if you think that way, you, you're expecting too much from your leaders. You, you are forgetting that they are changeable people, that they are sinners. Don't focus on them. Ultimately, focus on Jesus who does not change, verse 8. Not on the leaders who change. On Jesus who does not change, and he will not disappoint you.
Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 8. So what Jesus was like yesterday, he's still the same today. Yesterday he was good and wise and loving and almighty and all knowing, did I say that one, and faithful and the rest. Jesus is, I am. He says so in John 8 verse 58, so you can trust him, he doesn't change. He is unchangeable like the Father. God the Father is unchangeable. Malachi 3 verse 6. I the Lord do not change. God the Father is unchangeable. James 1 verse 17. Numbers 23 verse 90. And Jesus is unchangeable. Verse 8. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12. It says creation will change. But you are the same. So if Jesus doesn't change. Then he's exactly like the Father. Which means Jesus is God. And that's where the Christian life really rests. It rests on the unchangeable nature of Jesus Christ. What would it have been like if Jesus had to change? Imagine that. Imagine yesterday Jesus was good, today he's evil. He's changed. Yesterday he was wise, today he's foolish. Yesterday he was all-knowing, today he's ignorant and stupid. Yesterday he was almighty, and today he's powerless. Yesterday he was faithful, today he's unfaithful. He's a liar. Imagine that. Thank God that Jesus is unchangeable. Our leaders are changeable. Our leaders come and go. Leaders die, verse 7. and verse 17, then we have new leaders. But Jesus, Jesus, verse 8. Yesterday, today, and forever, he remains the same. So who will you trust ultimately? Should you not trust Jesus rather than changeable people? And then also, we learn authentic Christianity from our leaders who are still alive, verse 17. You know, some Christians become afraid when some great spiritual leader dies. And then they think, we will never again have such leaders. And then they don't accept their new leaders, because the new leaders are not like the old ones. And, and, and really, that is an expression of unbelief. As if Jesus who cannot change, as if Jesus, who gave us leaders yesterday, verse 17, is not the same today, and he won't give us new leaders, verse 17. So verse 7, oh yes, he gave you leaders, but now verse 17, oh goodness, he can't give you new leaders, the other ones have died. Listen, verse 8 told us Jesus doesn't change. So if Moses dies, he will give Joshua in Moses' place. And so, yes, it's right of you to respect pastor so-and-so who is now in heaven, and you were thankful for his ministry and you praise God and you learnt a lot from him and you think back on his life and ministry. But please, verse 17, do accept the new leaders that God has given you. And if you want to do so effectively, you cannot change, chop and change. You can't change churches every couple of months. Stick, stick. Put your roots down, anchor your roots at one church, at one congregation, and then you follow your leaders. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's in, that implies you're part of a local church. Obey those leaders, follow their example, listen to their teaching. So you don't obey them because they're special people. You obey them because they teach you the word of God. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. And you follow their example the way they follow Christ, and you submit to their leadership, and you respect them and you love them. 
We find that in 1 Thessalonians 5 also. You see, these leaders, why should you respect and submit, respect them and submit to them? Verse 17, for they are keeping watch over your souls. They are keeping watch over your souls. They, they are watching against sin in your life. They are helping you to protect you against Satan's attacks and against the world and against false teaching. We find this teaching in Acts chapter 20 also. They are watchmen, just like Ezekiel was. So they watch over you through biblical teaching. They teach you the scriptures, they take care of you pastorally, and they pray for your spiritual well-being, and they do so, hopefully, if you're a good spiritual leader, they do so every week. And when judgment day comes, those spiritual leaders will stand before the great shepherd, and he will see, did they do what he commanded them to do? Were they faithful? Middle of verse 17. They will have to give an account when the great shepherd appears. 1 Peter 5 teaches the same. So please help them. Verse 17 in the middle. Let them do this with joy. I don't think that's only a command to the leaders. That's a command to the sheep also. Please sheep. Please God's people. Help your leaders to serve with joy and not with groaning. To serve with joy. And the way you help them to serve with joy is by having a good attitude. By being obedient to your leaders. By not continually straying from the right path and falling into sin and becoming unfaithful. Otherwise they will sigh. They will serve with groaning. They will have a heavy heart. They will weep. And how will that help you if they serve with a heavy heart? You won't be able to grow as you ought. End of verse 17. That would be of no advantage to you. Number two, second question, what does it look like? And I mean, what does genuine Christianity look like? Or authentic Christianity? That's verse 9 to 16. First answer, it's inward. Genuine Christianity is inward, verse 9. So during the Reformation, the Protestant reformers tried to reform the Roman Catholic Church. To get rid of all the falsehood that the Catholic Church had spread. All the lies, all the perversions, all the corruption. And since the Protestant Reformation, more than one Pope has asked and in a sense commanded the Protestants to return to the Mother Church as they call it. But we cannot return to the Catholic Church because it's a false version of Christianity. With all its externals, its rituals and clothes and robes and confessions and days of fasting that are compulsory and spiritual places and candles and altars and sacrifices and pictures and icons and stained glass windows and bells and rhymes in Latin or in English or whatever language. That is not genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity, authentic Christianity, is inward. It's about God's work of grace in the heart. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those 
devoted to them. Now, obviously, genuine Christianity will become visible externally, outwardly, in your deeds, in obedience. But no amount of good deeds can make you acceptable before God. Romans 3 verse 20, By works of the law no man shall be justified. So don't fall for any false teaching, verse 9 says, don't be led away by it, for any teaching that focuses on the externals, on the outward, on rituals, on rules, and not focusing on the work of God's grace in the heart. Verse 9, so stick to the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus that always remains the same. This teaching, Jesus remains the same, verse 8, and don't be led away by false teachings, verse 9. Listen to the word of God, verse 7. This is what Christians have always believed, the same gospel and follow this teaching that your leaders have taught you. Stick to the old paths, Jeremiah 6 verse 16. Stick to the teaching of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, this gospel is the true gospel. A gospel of salvation by good works. A gospel that says you must be saved by ritual is no gospel at all. It is not genuine Christianity. Saying, oh, eat this food, don't eat this food, do these rituals. Verse 9 says, it never benefited those devoted to them. And it is not authentic either if it says, God saves us by grace plus your own efforts. As soon as you add your own efforts to grace, it is no longer grace. Romans 11 verse 16. The authentic gospel is a gospel of grace, verse 9. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And it's grace from beginning to end. Grace upon grace, John 1 verse 16. Remain in the grace of God, Acts 13, 43. And even your good works, even your service in God's kingdom, it is by the grace of God that you are able to do it. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, he speaks of the work he did for the Lord and he said, yet not I but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 7, by the grace that was given to him he could preach this gospel. Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. According to the measure of God's grace, the grace that God gives us, that we serve by His grace, 1 Peter 4 verse 10. So the way to receive this grace is by faith in Jesus. We have access into the grace of God by faith, Romans 5 verse 2. And even your spiritual growth now, the way you grow is by God's grace. God gives you grace through His Word and through prayer. In answer to prayer, it speaks of Hebrews 4 16, the throne of grace. We receive grace when we pray. God's strength, God's grace, God's favor. I commend you to the word of God's grace, Acts 20 verse 32. We receive God's grace through the fellowship of believers and the partaking of the Lord's table, the communion. Uh, so it's not the bread that gives you grace. It is Jesus who gives you grace when you believe in him and remember his death and thank him for it and call upon him. So no amount of outward things, of external rules, no amount of rituals can change the heart, can change you inwardly, can bring you nearer to God. 
And that also goes for food. Verse 9. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. And there are a number of passages like that in the New Testament. Saying, don't eat this, don't touch that, don't taste that. That cannot help you to overcome sin, says Colossians 2. Jesus said, it's not what you put into your mouth, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles you and makes you impure. And these people who said, don't eat this, don't eat that, can't change you, it can't make you spiritual, it can't bring you nearer to God. So please don't feel guilty then. And you feel worthless, and you think, oh, God is not satisfied with me, and other people are more spiritual than I am because they... they they slim and they slender and they thin and I'm overweight and, and they eat right and I don't eat right. Where does the New Testament tell you, oh, you must eat this and that to have a right and a correct diet? Where does the Bible tell you if you weigh so much, then this is the correct weight uh, in proportion to your height? Where does the Bible say that God is angry with you or God is pleased with you because you weigh so much and not so much? Food will not benefit you spiritually, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8 says, Food will not commend us to God. Authentic Christianity is a matter of the heart, verse 9. And if the heart is right, then you will eat and drink and do everything to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And secondly, if we speaking of genuine Christianity and we ask what does it look like, it is cross-centered. It is cross-centered. And that is verse 10 to 13. In other words, it focuses on the cross of Jesus. I remember this very same Martin Holt I spoke of earlier. Once at a, a pastor's camp or a pastor's seminar, he made quite an impression on me when he spoke about the cross, saying how the Apostle Paul, even when he gave very practical day-to-day -day Christian life teaching, he always went back to the cross. For instance, when Paul speaks about giving to the poor, he says, Jesus gave himself. He was rich in heaven. He became poor that you might, might have spiritual riches. Or when he speaks of marriage, he says, Husbands, love your wives. And what's your example? It's the cross of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. To give his life for us. You do the same for your wives. Sacrifice for them. Love them. Now false Christianity is a Christianity that says, What can I, a good person, what can I do for Jesus? Authentic Christianity says, What has Jesus done for me, a sinner? It focuses on what he did for me when he was sacrificed upon the altar of the cross. Verse 10, we have an altar. So we have an altar, that's speaking of the cross. In the Old Testament, you sacrificed a lamb on the altar. Now it's speaking of Jesus, who's the lamb who was sacrificed on the cross, and it symbolically calls it an altar. And no one can receive the benefits of this salvation just because he's a religious person, with, he's got some religious status or some religious uh, office and... And he eats of the sacrifices, verse 9, speaks of the foods that don't benefit you. So don't think, oh, you can eat, uh, you, can, you can benefit from salvation just because you're a priest. No, verse 10 says, those who serve in the tent have no right to eat of this altar. So uh, to apply that, we can say you're not, you're not automatically saved 
automatically a Christian just because you're a pastor or an elder or a deacon. Rather, we would say, we should eat from the altar of the cross. We should eat of Christ by faith. Verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. In other words, we can eat from this altar. We can eat from the cross. We can spiritually eat Christ, which means you partake of Christ. But it's spiritual. It's by faith. Like Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Eat this bread. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood, he said in the end of John chapter 6, at least toward the end. So it's not a, a literal thing. It's a spiritual thing. We partake of Christ by faith and we are satisfied. Our hunger is still and our thirst is quenched. And then Jesus doesn't only fulfill that sacrifice, he also fulfills the sacrifice of which the priests did not eat. So the priests did eat of some sacrifices, but some of the sacrifices were not eaten by the priests. So the blood of this animal was brought into the most holy place. It was sprinkled to bring purification for sins and to bring for forgiveness for the people. And then the body of that animal was burned outside the camp, end of verse 11. It was burned outside the camp. That's from Leviticus 16. And in the same way, Jesus fulfills that sacrifice because Jesus, he dies outside the camp, outside the gate, outside of Jerusalem, verse 12. Jesus also suffered, suffered outside the gate. Why? To sanctify the people through his own blood. Sanctify means God takes you out of the world, sets you apart for himself. You belong to him now, not to the world, not to sin, not to Satan. So Jesus set us apart through his death on the cross when he died outside the city, just like that animal was burned outside the camp. And what, what does that show? Well, what it shows is this death of Jesus outside the camp, it shows the Jews rejected Jesus. Jerusalem rejected him. They threw him out of the city. And so now this writer is saying to these Christians, don't go back to a religion that crucified Jesus. Don't go back there. Turn your back on Judaism and go to Jesus outside the camp, outside the city. Rather choose to suffer with Jesus, to be persecuted for your faith than to side with a religion that rejects Jesus. Verse 13. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow Christ. And that goes for us too. <clears throat> I would rather suffer for Jesus, verse 13, before I start working with groups for whom the cross of Jesus is not enough. They say the cross is not enough. We should add our good works to be saved. Therefore, I cannot have a Christmas carol service with a Catholic church or with the Mormons or whoever or join evangelicals and Catholics together, ECT. We cannot join that. How can we look on any group as Christian if Jesus is not enough if the cross is not enough, if it's not everything to them, because they say it's not everything, we must add our own works to that. No. I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. I will boast in nothing else except in the cross of Jesus through whom the world was crucified for me and I to the world. Galatians 6.14. Authentic Christianity, what does it look like? Third, 
Thirdly, it's focused on the future. Verse 14. So the prosperity gospel, these clowns on television, prosperity preachers, everything to them is about the here and now. It's about your best life now, to use the title of a popular book by Joel Osteen. Authentic Christianity doesn't live for the year and now. Authentic Christianity doesn't focus on how can I enjoy this world. It focuses on the world to come. Verse 14. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So for yourself, if you answer this question, what, what overwhelms or at least what dominates your thinking? What dominates your desires? What dominates your prayers? Is it to have a pleasurable life in this world? Or do you desire to have a life with Jesus in heaven? Verse 14. Fourthly. What, is the authentic, what does authentic Christianity look like? It is constant. Verse 15. Constant. So false Christianity is limited to seasons. It's limited to times and seasons. So false Christianity is only Christian in, during Christmas. So we have this Christmas season and now we're Christians. And it's, it's Easter weekend and Good Friday. Now I'm a Christian. And Lent. So now I'm a Christian and I fast. And it's, it's limited to Sundays. So every Sunday I'm a Christian. That's not authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity is a lifestyle. Authentic Christianity is a Christian. It's Christianity 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's Christianity on earth. It's Christianity in heaven. It's Christianity forever. Verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Continually. It's continual. It's constant. Fifthly. What does it look like? Authentic Christianity is personal but not private. Verse 15. So you know Batman. Batman says, I work alone. I choose to work alone. I enjoy working alone. And you know some Christians are like that. They think they can be alone. They don't need other Christians. Now it is true that your relationship to Jesus should be personal. Jesus speaks of the narrow gate. So you don't, come, you, come, you don't come through the narrow gate in groups. You come individually. It's personal. But it's not private. Because you become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the church, part of God's people when you are saved. You're not on your own. Verse 15 says, let us continually offer up. Verse 13 says, let us go to him. Us, not me, us. And that, we find that refrain often in Hebrews. Just one example. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Let us draw near. Verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us. Let us. Let us. So uh, uh, a one-sided Christianity, a Christianity that withdraws, a Christianity that is private. I'm not part of the group. I'm not God, part of God's people. I don't mingle with other Christians. That is not authentic Christianity. Those people, they are part of a false version of Christianity. Number six, still busy with answering the question, uh, what does it look like, this authentic Christianity? Verse 15 and 16. 
So you see these phrases in verse 15 and 16. He says in verse 15, he speaks of a sacrifice of praise to God. It speaks of those who acknowledge His name. And then verse 16, it says of sacrifices pleasing to God. So that is authentic Christianity. It is God-focused. So we don't, bring, we don't bring animal sacrifices like in verse 11. We bring spiritual sacrifices, verse 15. Sacrifices of praise. Sacrifices of good works, verse 16. Sacrifices of, of sharing with other people. Sharing what you have. Sacrifices like these is what we bring. And we do it. When we do this, it's like good fruit that is offered to God. Healthy fruit, but it grows from healthy roots. The healthy roots of a new heart, verse 9, a changed heart, the grace of God in the heart. This leads to verse 15, where now you have the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. So now you have the fruit because you have the root. And that then leads to praises where God is central. Praise to God, verse 15. And Isaac Watts understood this. Here's a hymn that he wrote. It's, it's God-centered. The Lord Jehovah reigns. His throne is built on high. The garments that, he's, that he wears are light and majesty. His glory shine with beams so bright no mortal eye can bear the sight. The thunders of his hand keep the wide world in awe. His wrath and justice stand to God his holy law. And where his love resolves to bless, his truth confirms and seals his grace. Through all his mighty works, amazing wisdom shines. He stuns the powers of hell and all their dark designs. Strong is his arm and shall fulfill his great decrees and sovereign will. And will this mighty king of glory condescend? And will he write his name, my father and my friend? I love his name. I love his word. Join all my powers to praise the Lord. Now contrast that God-centered praise, as verse 15 speaks of. Contrast that to many modern Christian songs where man is central, not God. Here's a song by Lauren Daigle, I, and just a couple of lines from it. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am. Because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. Oh, I believe, I believe. Now, all of those words aren't wrong. But the focus there is on man rather than on God. Authentic Christianity focuses on God. And then authentic Christianity, number seven, uh, is a Christianity that serves. It serves. Verse 60. I remember hearing this, that uh, R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, he spoke about many students that would come to him, and often he would get this from students asking, how can I be more spiritual? Very, very few students ever asked him, how can I be more righteous? And there's a difference. The Pharisees were spiritual. And the Roman Catholic Church is very spiritual. And even Buddhists can be spiritual. 
Authentic Christianity is not merely spiritual. It is righteous. Not just righteousness through the lips. Saying the right things. But righteous in our deeds. So authentic Christians. They serve. And they help. And they share with others. Verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So question to you. Do you have an opportunity to do good works? Do you have an opportunity now to share with a brother or sister or to serve a brother or sister in Christ? Well then do so as verse 16 commands. It tells you to share. Have you got extra of something? Have you got extra food, extra clothes, an extra place to stay, extra transport, extra time, extra spiritual gifts, extra talents or skills, extra money, then verse 16 tells you to share. That's what your father is like, right? Your father is a father who loves to give. Well, then verse 16, follow his example. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God because he himself gave. He gave his only son. That's what authentic Christianity looks like, right? It looks like following God, imitating God. Authentic Christianity looks like Jesus. He who says that he abides in Christ should walk as Christ walked. Authentic Christianity doesn't look like a little girl that plays princess, princess. Authentic Christianity looks like someone who is really part of the royal family and acts like that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for the teaching of scripture. And I pray that you would help us as a church, us as your people, us as individuals, to live the authentic Christian life. And so honor the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father, and the Holy Spirit, for forever and ever Amen.